What does it mean, Messiah Matters? It means apart from him, we can do nothing. It means he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeshua is the only way of salvation. He is everything. We have to have the Tanakh to know the Messiah. But we have to have the Messiah to know the Tanakh. Without Messiah, we have nothing. Basically, it's all about the Messiah. It's Wednesday, August 22nd. This is Messiah Matters, number 231. Still getting emails from Apple Fanatics. My name is Caleb Hag, and with me, the man whose mind is already sunbathing in the Caribbean, yeah. Rob Van <laughs> What up, buddy? How's it going, man? Uh, it's going well. So I said, "Boy, the air here has been crazy." I know it's been crazy for you too. We were like over three hundred, like the other day, in terms of like it was like hazardous. They're like, "Don't go out of your house." Yeah, we it, keep getting those. My wife's here. like, "Yeah, we're worse than what was it?" Um, New Delhi and Beijing added right. together or something like that. Right. Yeah. But this I, is not industrial pollution. This is uh this is just smoke from forest fires. Yeah, thanks a lot Canada. <laughs> Blame Canada. Boy, yeah, um, up in the, you know, you have a lot of vacationers that like to go up and hike and and see the beauty of like Banff, you know, up there. And that's that's a hot spot. It's totally smoked out. You just froze on me. I wonder why. Hang on just a sec. Let's see what we can do here. Get Rob back. Rob is frozen. Hmm. Well, that's no good. Oh, there you go. Okay, good. I'm back. Um, okay. So last week I mentioned that I got myself a new phone. I explained that my new phone was uh, a Android. Rob keeps freezing. Not sure why. Um, and uh, so Apple enthusiasts have been have been uh, just nonstop, nonstop uh, emailing me on on why they think that uh, I'm you're crazy. I'm totally you're, are you have you betrayed? Yes, exactly. Now keep in mind, I, I still have an Apple TV, an Apple uh, computer, an Apple laptop computer and a Apple tablet. But apparently I have gone against the Apple people by switching phones, which by the way, I have to admit, I really like got myself the Android S eight Samsung S eight. It's uh, nice. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Now I will admit there's some annoyances, right? Uh, but it is what it is. So yeah, you, you haters can, can hate all you want. That's fine. Okay, well, Rob leaves for uh, Trinidad tomorrow. And uh, we're excited for you, man. Are you just pumped or what? Do you have any downtime? Do you know? Yeah, Monday you're going to have a little bit of downtime. So what? You, so you're going to teach Kinda. the whole time and then what? Yeah, the co- conference is three days. So it's uh, Friday, Shabbat, and Sunday, and then Monday is is some downtime, hanging with, with, uh, 
the host there and then um seeing hopefully seeing a, a little bit of, of the country i know that um there looks like there's some heavy storm weather the front side of the week so i'm hoping that'll kind of be done with for a little bit but you know you know i know i've i've traveled with rob multiple times i've traveled with him um to ets and sbl and rob is a uh, uh, a delicate flower when he travels. He gets uh, burnt out very easily and quickly. He needs a lot of nap time. And uh, so I'm excited for you, but I'm also a little nervous for you because when you're, you know, when you're, when you're teaching all day long and then people are coming up to you and asking questions, wanting to talk and everything, you're looking at like 12, 14 hour days. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. <laughs> you got enough emergency. SBL has its own stresses. That's true. I'll give you Especially that. Especially when you're doing like two. That's like that feels like the iron a little bit like an iron furnace. Um, and so, I will admit yeah. that going to ETS and SBL is a little a little different. It's like putting your your mouth on a fire hose, and then uh, you know having somebody just pull all the way back on the right. Know, right, and this is different in that you have a a nice um, hospitality that is uh, has has created a space and uh, you know what I mean? And um, so you're going uh, to spend time with believers to be in the word. And that's a different tone than going, you know, the the SBL can be kind of hostile. I, I, you know, I've been to uh, see papers where, you know, it's an academic guy who, but he doesn't believe the Bible's the word of God, but he's, let's say he's, into the language or archaeology or something like that. And, and literary so, form. He so those, like yeah, those I try to learn from those people, you know, see what I can pick up, but it's, it's not a, uh, um, what do you call it? It's not a space you would hang out for a long time. Right. right. But anyway. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I, I will uh, make sure that I have, just remember to press record on, on before all of your uh, sessions. That's the only thing I ask. Record. Make sure it's watch the I've numbers got, go up. That's all. I, that's all I need. I've got extra batteries. I've got all the things. Yeah, good, good. Good. Okay. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's uh, our two hundred and thirty first show. Woo-woo. And uh, before we get into it, let's thank some people. First of all, as always. This show, Messiah Matters, is brought to you by TorahResource.com. Torah Resource is a wonderful place to find all sorts of great resources. And by the way, you know, um, for those who, for those who, um, you know, need resources that you don't find on our site, give me a give me a shout out. Um, you can uh, email me or whatever. I sent uh, I sent uh, Evelyn today. I sent her uh, a chapter out of my dad's book on ten persistent questions. If you have things like that that you're looking for that you need help with definitely give us a call and we'd be happy to help you. Uh, we are here to help and here to uh, equip the body of the Messiah. And uh, yeah, so check it out. And uh, for those who don't know, we have a radio station. Our radio station plays 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. That's right. Go to torresource.com or simply put in trradio.com and it'll take you straight to our radio station. Okay. And then you can uh, give us a comment on our comment line, 253-465-3205. I'll give it to you one more time. Get your pencil ready. It's 253-465-3205. Uh, we do listen to every single message, and uh, we don't answer the phone, so you can call and, and tell us what horrible people we, we are or how great you think we are or how you think we're wrong or whatever it may be. You can also send us emails, chag at 
It's seahagatorresource.com. And uh, this show would not be made possible without the generous support of our producers. We have executive producers and associate producers. Um, you know, somebody emailed me. They, they were a little confused on associate and executive producers. First of all, associate and executive producers is not a reoccurring donation. So we have supporters that donate at like $5 and up every single month. And for those people, I mean, they are the, they are the, the, the legs and the foundation of, of this show. Um, our, our producers, uh, now some of our producers are, uh, repeat offenders, <laughs> um, and, and we thank them for that. But uh, a producership is purchased once every three months, not once a month. And you have to go back and purchase it every, um, every three months. And, uh, so it's not like, uh, you give us, you know, money every single three months or anything like that. You go and you, you actually purchase a producership. And if you'd like to do that, you can find all that information on torresource.com backslash messiah dash matters. Okay. Um, enough of that. Let's get into it. We, uh, we have a full show today and then actually, uh, we've had several comments recently asking us to talk on a Greek mindset versus a Hebrew mindset. We've decided to punt that to two weeks from today. Uh, and the reason being that we are actually going to be, um, well, we're, we're taking a week off. And here's the other thing. I didn't even think about this. There's another week that I'm going to have to have off. We'll, we'll figure something out. We'll do something for that week. Uh, my family's actually taking a vacation uh, in the month of September, right smack dab in between, in between the festivals. But next week, we're actually taking off. And so we will be off next week. But then the week after that, we'll be back and we will talk about a Hebrew mindset versus a Greek mindset and what we think about that and all those kind of things. If you'd like uh, to preempt that show and know more than we know about this subject, you can go to TorahResource.com and look for my father's uh, uh, teaching on this subject. I, I believe it's six lectures and it's called My Big Fat Greek Mindset. And so, yeah, but today we've decided to do something and basically look at our our inbox. And so a lot of these come from people asking questions, not, uh, I think maybe all of them actually. Okay. Um, first covenant. Now this is an interesting, this is an interesting one and I didn't write down the person's name. I apologize to whoever, uh, gave this question. They say, I have a question about Exodus 31, 12 through 17. Can you help me to understand why the Sabbath is a sign of the Sinai covenant? Is this something you can discuss on Messiah matters? Well, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? You know, I should put, let's, oh, let me pull up that verse. For, um, well, oh, let's give the reference one more time for people who are looking oops. in their Bibles. It is Exodus 31, 12 through 17. I'm going to read out of the ESV. And it says this, and the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep the Sabbaths. For this is the sign between me and your throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord, uh, that I that I the Lord sanctify you. Sorry, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall the work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath uh, day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day 
he rested and was refreshed. So um, the initial thought that I have from this is actually what you said when we kind of discussed this prior, which is that this is not a sign of the Sinai Covenant. Right? Well, it's a sign. It's uh, the Shabbat first and foremost is a memorial from creation. Like who is the who who created this whole world? Yeah, right. I mean, that's that's the the core piece. Um, and it is given to Israel in the wilderness ahead of the Ten Commandments. Right? They they get the Shabbat and the manna. If you go back to uh, after the deliverance from Egypt, um, they get two gifts. They get the gift of manna. Right. It says the Lord gave them manna and the Lord gave them the Shabbat. So the verb Natan is used in both these cases. And if you remember, they're hooked together because how is the manna and the Shabbat hooked together? That they were only to gather manna for one day and they were not to go on the Shabbat and gather manna. Right. But, and if they tried to store manna over one day, it would, uh, it would get all gross, except by miracle. Not only was the manna a miracle, but there was an extra miracle in that, that on the preparation day, uh, people could gather an extra day's worth of manna and it would not go gross. Right. And there would not be any on the Shabbat. So the giving of the Shabbat and the giving of the manna point back to uh, the creation, obviously, and God's provision for his people. But God's expectation that his people recognize his own holiness and then what he sanctifies. He sanctified the Shabbat. And as it says in verse 13, Ani Adonai, I am the one who I sanctify you all, meaning I, I am the one who sanctifies Israel. So I think, I think ultimately, I think it is a, uh, it's the sign of salvation. Well, sure. Because Isaiah 56, the very passage Yeshua quotes, what's it's, it's the scripture that's in Yeshua's heart while he's, while he's angrily knocking over these money changing tables is, this whole passage of now we just hear it. He says, you know, this shall be a call to house of prayer for all nations. But what's the context of that passage from Isaiah is people from other nations uh, coming and clinging to Adonai and keeping and not profaning his Shabbat, it says, and that their, their, uh, their worship will be acceptable to me. I think that, I think the two things that that it um, I, I agree with you, but the, the the two things that it represents are you have creation where the garden is created, and man and and uh, and the holy one dwell together in unity on the earth, and then the other thing it represents is that now sin has come between man and God, mm-hmm. the garden is no more. But the Exodus is a sign of salvation. In other words, bringing man right, back into exactly. the into the uh, relationship with the Holy One again. Right. And this is this is how all on the promise because if we talk about oaths and covenants, promise to Abraham. Remember, it wasn't Israel in Egypt didn't do anything special that God said. Oh, I, you know, those people are having a hard time. Maybe I should intervene. Right. No, because there were other people slaves at the time. 
in the world, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. Why did he deliver them? Well, it had nothing to do with them in terms of their work right there or their merit. It had to do with his own promise that he'd made generations prior to Abraham. Exactly. He told Abraham, and we know that from Genesis 15, right? He says, your offspring will will become slaves, but I will bring them back. He, he makes a promise, an oath to, to Abraham that he's going to do this. Um, and this is even before Ishmael's born. This is before Isaac's born. Abraham's given this promise. And it's the same chapter where where we learn uh, Abraham trusted the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. I saw, I saw a video this morning. This is totally off subject. I saw a video this morning uh, as I was kind of browsing. And um, you can Google it. It was, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a teacher that I'm actually aware of. I for some reason his name is is uh escaping me right now dr clark dr anyway he was talking about genocide and he had a really interesting take that i'd never heard before he said that god had uh god didn't just tell israel to go and slaughter people no instead god held the people in in egypt while the nations that were in canaan continued to get worse and worse and worse. And right. Then That's he, in Genesis 15 also. He right. Says, yeah. And then he, and then he, uh, then he uses Israel as a means to enact his judgment against these people, just as uh, later Babylonia and, and other people are used in, to enact God's judgment against Israel. Very interesting take. I, I agree. I think, I think I agree with him. I think it's uh, but it just shows God's providence, you know, his, his sovereignty all the way around for every, you know, Every single situation that, and every single reason. In other words, why were why was uh, Israel in Egypt for four hundred years plus? Well, because of of his enacting judgment on the nations that were in Canaan at the time. Very yeah, and by by God's wisdom, you know, He created man. He knows how we remember. Remember, He knows how we need to repeat things over and over and over again. How forgetful we are. How our hearts go astray. Um. So the very imprinting in the calendar observance is a marked day every week where, where we remember we are not slaves, back to the redemption theme, that we're children of, of the creator of heaven and earth. Right. And that that's our identity. Right. Our identity is in, is in the one who redeemed us and who's also the one who created the whole world. And so... Whereas other people run about day after day after day, working, working, stressed out. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? They're in an endless cycle. They need deliverance from that. That's a that's a cycle of evil. Uh, that's fruit of the, you know, that's uh, that's the wages of sin is death, right? People who uh, have not uh, uh, come to see the truth of of who the Creator is, you know. And so, um, yeah, all these things are tied together. So it's tough to say. The, the Shabbat is a sign of the Sinai covenant um, because, the, yeah, it's, it's, um, well, it, it doesn't say that here. It just says it's a sign. Well, it's hang on. Just sign say, between I'm, me and it says it's a sign forever. But it, it calls the Sabbath itself a covenant, right? I'm not looking at the, well, it says hang it's on. an oath. Yeah. It's a Brit Olam. It's a, a perpetual yeah. Brit. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a it's a like it that is the Sabbath. Et Hashabbat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the Sabbath is the is the covenant. 
itself. Um, anyway, um, Helen in the chat room says, who are the Amorites? Because actually, Paul, before that, he says uh, the time of the Amorites are not full yet. Right. That's the that's a good verse there from 15. Right. And so um, basically, God is holding Israel in Egypt until the Amorites, the Amorites were in Canaan at the time. What this made me think of is, uh, is Ariel Berkowitz's class at Torah Resource Institute on peoples of the ancient Near East. It's a great class. And he talks, he goes through the Amorites and talks about the Amorites. Um, and uh, that made me remember that uh, I should tell everyone right now, Tor- Torah Resource Institute, uh, the fall quarter is is open for registration. I would encourage everyone. You don't have to be in a program or anything. You can just take single classes at a time. I'd encourage everyone to uh, to take a class. We got some really good classes, uh, and Rob's teaching Greek and what uh, Aramaic and um, rabbinic Judaisms. That's a really well, is ju- it rabbin- Judaism in the first century. Uh, yeah, Judaism is in the first. I'm sorry, yeah. Judaism is in the first century. That is a really fun course. I've taken it myself. Um, and then my father's teaching a slew of, of uh, courses as well. So is Gary Springer. Um, I would encourage everyone to go to TorahResource.com and check out the classes. You can look at them under Institute. Um, yeah, take some classes with us. It's fun. Okay, so I hope that that answers the question on Exodus 31, 12 through 17. Good question. Good question. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Let's move on. We're going to go to vows and oaths. I'm kind of out. You know, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm just going to punt this one right over to you because I don't, uh, I, you know, You've done more research on this than I have, but I will read the person's questions so that at least I'm part of the conversation. Vows and oaths, what's the difference? Vows, numbers 30, how does the vow of a male differ from that of a female? Mm. Why can a father or husband annul the vow of his daughter or wife? Mm. Do the vows of sons in their father's house stand on their own, or can the father annul those also? Uh, Do you want me to stop, or do you want to... Wow, that's, uh, yeah, that's getting into it. Um... Good. These are all good questions. A lot of this comes from like Numbers thirty, probably. I would right. imagine um, the idea of of an oath and a vow. Um, you know, and the rabbis have a whole that they, they have tractates on on uh, you know nedarim or vows, right? Right. Or shavuot is is uh, uh, vow uh, oaths. So. Um, it's it's a good question. The way I like it, in terms of an outline, how to understand the dynamics. You know, I want to set apart the idea of, or let me do a short answer for the authority. Like for example, Numbers thirty. I think it's it's the same reason why the Lord, after Eve ate the fruit, and then she gave to Adam and he ate. The Lord doesn't come and address Eve. The Lord comes right. and says to Adam. Where are you? So authority structures. Yeah. So it's it has to do with that, and that's by God's design. Hey, but yeah, that's one of my... Adam was that, responsible. That's one of my... You know, there's a couple of places in the Torah where you He was really accountable. S- like he, he, didn't, he didn't demonstrate uh, responsibility at that time, but he was accountable. There's, there's, there's a couple of places in the Torah where we really see... And this is off track, I'm sorry, but this is a rabbit trail, where we really see God's uh, humor, and, and maybe even Moses' humor in the way that he writes it, but... 
Um, in Genesis, the passage that you're talking about is one of them. And then actually when we were on, you know, when I Maybe was like, cause God knows the answer. Well, no, no, because it, oh. it, well, it's the same, it's the same, it's the same kind of, uh, thing in both, in both passages in, uh, we read this in, in, uh, Ontario on Shabbat, but in the first one in Genesis, he says, he says, well, you know, I'm paraphrasing. What, what have you done? Did you, you know, did you eat the fruit? And he says, oh, the woman that you gave me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. She, you know, you gave her to me. She gave me the fruit. Yeah, and blame, then, blame. Yeah, and That's then, one of the first moves yeah. uh, that, that and, a, a sly, and, oh man, and then in Deuteronomy, uh, sneaky person. Well, no, but God does it too. My, fa- this is one of my favorite passages in all of the Torah. Right? That like the, Moses comes down off the off the mountain. Yeah, the same thing. The, he smashes the, people the tablets you... and everything. And and God, the whole time he's been like, I'm the one who brought you out from Egypt. I'm the one. I'm the one. You know, remember that I'm the Lord who brought you out from Egypt. And then, then Moses gets in trouble kind of right and he comes up and he's pleading with the lord and he's like the people that you brought out from egypt no longer is it god who brings you know oh man it's so good yeah, anyway good okay i'm off on a rabbit trail go ahead keep going with vows and oaths okay well so what oaths and vows um because what's the difference there's a difference right there's a different word for them um they both have to do with um, they bring God's name into into a some sort of utterance, right? That's that's true for both of them. Like you're you're invoking the name of God in a statement, and now an oath is going to be one of two basic kinds. You're either making an assertion about something. For example, let's say you were called to testify by a court. Okay, you say I'm going to tell the truth, right? That's an oath. You're just saying you're asserting something. Or an oath could be a promise to do something in the future. I'm going, Caleb, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, you know, da, 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 next year. And then I, but remember, we inv- there's an invocation of God's name to like, this is, I mean it. I'm really, I'm I all in. I'll do it. Yeah. it. God himself can hold me accountable, right? So that's what an oath is. That's why it's important when in Hebrews it says that that the Lord had no, had to swear by himself. He couldn't swear by anyone greater when he promised Abraham. Right? And that's back to back to Genesis 15 by the way. It says and the Lord swore. He made an oath. Right. That means the it's a covenant. It's it's called a, a brit, it's called a, a an oath and it's called a promise. And this is real in the forefront because Galatians just build, Paul is just making this so crystal clear that the promise to Abraham is, it's something God made by an oath. He, he made a covenant and it's not, you can't come later and modify and, and pretend that that's not there anymore. Right. That's, that's an important piece. Anyway, so that's an oath, a vow so, so a covenant is a kind of oath. That's the, a Brit is a is a kind of oath. A vow, a neder in Hebrew, is has a conditional element. It's the same thing as an oath. You write, you're bringing in God's name, but you have a conditional. Caleb, your art to God. God, if you do this, I'll do that. Do this, then I'll do that. Right. Right. Um, and so that's what's being addressed in Numbers thirty is a conditional uh, utterance that invokes God's name. If this, 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 and this happens, then I 
I promise to do this, 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 and this. Because if so, if the the apotheosis that is the the first thing doesn't it never happens, then the person's never obligated to the to the thing, right? You know, when when pigs fly, I will. Or like there were people. If Donald Trump wins the presidency, I'm moving, moving. to Canada or whatever. Right. Well, those were. Like if there were people who, let's say they invoked like God's name and said that, they would then, when in fact the first thing happens, then they now are accountable for before God for this other thing. Right. Now, uh, the problem is, and this gets into the later rabbis, you know, because we know from the apostolic writings, like in James, I pulled up James 5, he says, Above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But yet, let your yes be yes and your no be no, that you may not fall under judgment. And he's just, re, re, where did he learn that? Yeshua in the Gospels says, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Right. So this idea of being careful with our speech and what kind of things we utter is really important in the Bible. Um, but the later rabbis then get, well, what happens if someone utters a vow and then something happens and they're like, and then they learn later, oh, if I would have only known, you know, can, can we get out of a vow that I've made? And that's what, uh, if you've ever heard, some of you maybe for Yom Kippur, there's part, and we're coming into that season, uh, part of the liturgy called Kol Nidre, which is right. Aramaic for uh, Kol Nedarim, all vows. And the idea is any is a person searching their heart, seeking, did I utter any kind of vow that then I'm accountable to God for failing to fulfill my obligation? Because if so, that's a judgment. That's a, and so the Kol Nidre traditional uh, liturgical piece there for Yom Kippur pertains to kind of scouring through and asking God to to release from those obligations and um, under the idea that they were made under duress, that they weren't legally binding. Right. In other words, if I would have, man, if I really would have known that this was going to happen, I would have never made that vow. Or if I knew this other piece of information that I, that was withheld from me. So, or if that guy pressured me and so I made the vow. So those kinds of things then create a legal way of wiggle room to say, well, there's a loophole, loophole here maybe you you thought you uttered a vow when in fact it never was a vow so you're off the hook so there's uh someone in the chat room asked this question can you talk about the nazarite vow why did people make make them i think that this is a question that can't yeah. actually can't actually be answered because i think that there were multiple reasons why a person would take a nazarite vow and motivation of well, people I, in the first sure, century sure. but uh, we know that it's because in the torah it's a way for someone to be to in a nutshell this is my short answer the Nazarite vow, it's it's a man or a woman, remember, so it's not it's not gender specific, can for a, a a short, limited duration of time acquire the status of holiness, according to the Torah, that is basically equal to that of a high priest. So here's here's the interesting In other words, it's a temper it's it's a it would be a pious act of worship and of dedication of a of a time to to enjoy a special privilege that is that is in the Torah itself, male or female alike, and uh, enjoy a, a status of holiness that is that is special. And God saw fit to put that in the Torah. One of the things that that I think of 
automatically. And this, uh, I could be way off on this, but you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about baptism and somebody was saying, you know, I've been baptized several times. Should right. I get baptized again? You know, like wh- when is it appropriate to get baptized again? I think that when the temple was standing, you didn't, you know, like you went out, you got baptized in the Jordan River or whatever by yoking on the, the baptizer. Well, if you wanted to rededicate your life after that, you didn't go get baptized again. You did a Nazarite vow. That's, I mean, that's kind of what I think of, you know, it's like a way yeah, of, you could maybe do that. a, a yeah. way of dedication to the Lord that's extreme. And the reason that it's extreme is because I think that the, the way that I've read the text, and maybe I'm wrong on this too, but the way that I've read the text is once you're done with your Nazarite vow, you shave your entire body. You don't just shave your head. And I think a lot of people think uh, you take the razor, you shave your head. No, you shave your entire body. Um, you know, have you ever seen somebody who has shaved their eyebrows off and they're walking around with no eyebrows? They look weird. So if you think of somebody who's just totally shaved head to toe, um, sure. it's an extreme. And, they've, and they've, it's extreme. they've separated themselves from major communal events such as celebration. They're not drinking wine. So if they're at a party, they're not drinking wine. And they're not going to go near dead near the dead. So their participation in a, in mourning and a funeral, etc. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's kind of an, if, if you could say an asceticism that is actually though, uh, set forth as kosher. Oh man, Paul, why'd you, why'd you delete that? Oh, what? sorry. I'm not seeing the thing. So that's all right. Um, anyway, good uh, well, question on the vows. Paul asked. Paul asked when Yeshua says that he's. Did he basically take a Nazarite vow when he says he would abstain right. from drinking uh, uh, wine? This is. I mean, he's getting into my realm now, which is something that I that I really like because there's. Yeah, that's a good question. There's a lot of good discussion around the question. Is what, and that gets. I mean, one source, of course, albeit it's later in the Mishnah. The what, what is the minimal utterance? required for someone to be obligated now as a Nazarite. So can I tell you what my take is on this? Because this is actually part of my thesis. I'm, I'm, I've written extensively. I think I've written probably 10, 10 to 15 pages now on what Yeshua is trying to abstain from when he says, I will not drink of it again until it's in the mm-hmm. kingdom. Because my take on it is, is that he, because what happens in Luke, he, he abstains from, from drinking, uh, he abstains. Yeah. And then he drinks again, or at least he blesses it and gives it to his his uh, disciples again. And there's uh, a lot of people who like to read the rabbinic text back into the first century will say, oh, well, this was this cup or this was this cup. That wasn't around in the first century. Even even Daryl Bach says that, uh, uh, Dr. Daryl Bach says that it, it was probably the precursor to the four cups of wine. At the right, 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 yeah. I disagree with him thoroughly on that. I think that what he's saying in the whole thing is, is that I will not celebrate Passover again until I do it with you in the kingdom. In other words, the the ceremonial aspects of this meal that are going on, this ceremony, I won't do it again until I do it with you in the kingdom. And the reason that, uh, I, I think that there's multiple uh, reasons that we can see this um, because it, he actually abstains twice. He doesn't just abstain once. He abstains once after he eats and whether or not that's the lamb or just the meal in general, it doesn't matter because the lamb was part, part of it. But he says, I will not eat again until I'm in the kingdom with you. And then he drinks the, the wine after the meal. And that's when he abstains from the wine, right? But then he has wine again. In John, he's up on uh, he's up on the cross and they try to give him sour wine and he rejects it. And then they try to give it to him again and he accepts it. So he drinks wine after that. 
So I think that it has to be that he's talking about the ceremonial aspects. And he even introduces the cup with the term fruit of the vine, which I think even in the first century was representative of a uh, ceremonial cup of wine. Okay, now we're off on a totally different... Good. Oh, good stuff. Good <laughs> questions. <laughs> yeah, that was good. He retracted it. He said it seemed like a dumb question. Not, no, not, not no, a dumb no, that's question not a good, at all. That's not a dumb question. That's a really good question. It's one that well, I pulled it, my hair I out. I mean, you could say that. What is... Uh, like, you could look in First Samuel, you know, when, when Hannah has... Um, Shmuel, right when he's born and or when she's pregnant, right? She basically says a, a Nazarite vow kind of oath, and then um, uh, Elizabeth with uh, John the Baptist, right? Um, she's told that he's going to be a Nazarite, right? Basically, more or less, by the angel. Um, that's not her decision. Um, so another another. Uh, Part to the now, now we're getting back into yeah, but those so, both technically might be lifelong Nazarites, so that's a different type of Nazarite than the temporal vow given in the Torah. Joachim Jeremiah, uh, who's who wrote probably what is still considered probably the foremost work on um, Jesus in the Last Supper, and that's the name of his book, Jesus in the Last Supper by Joachim or Joachim Jeremiah. Um, he he posits that the that uh, Yeshua abstained from the entire meal and all of the cups from the very beginning that he fasted. He just the whole watched time. them all. Yeah, he watched them all eat, and 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 uh, there's reasons that he he uh, supposes this, but they all fall very flat to me. And the biggest reason why is because it's commanded in the Torah: you shall eat the lamb with bitter herbs. So you're telling me that right before Yeshua died, the last thing that he did right before he died was, is, not, do was, the, yeah. was not do the commandment of the Torah? You're yeah, yeah. right. I, I just don't buy it. Anyway. Good. good. Okay. Um, wow. Let's man. move on. Let's go to Revelation. Uh, yeah, we had two different emails the same week. Right. Concerning, I don't know if they were both emails, but they were both people reaching out to us about a different fact, uh, facet of Revelation. So we thought we'd put those together. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We were going to talk about one of these last week. This one. So I actually named the show after this. One of the things that is actually difficult for me to do is uh, name the show each week. Yeah. Cause we talk about so much stuff. I know. I don't like what, what am I supposed to name? And it then this for week? people later, they'll like email, Hey, Rob, what show did you guys talk about? <laughs> I'm like, ask Caleb. Yeah. So I did. So interestingly <laughs> enough, if people don't realize this, I try to database every single one of the shows that we do, and I uh, I link it with uh, with keywords to be able to search for what we've talked about. Now I'm I'm always behind by about ten shows, and then after ten shows go by, then I'll go back and I'll I'll you know try to catch up in my database. But I have about a hundred and twenty shows right now uh, database, so I, cool. I can pretty much tell you what we've talked about in every show. Okay. Um, you guys affirm that Yeshua is... So this comes from the question of... The same person asked the question a week or two, I think two weeks ago, about um, firstborn of all creation, right? And we talked about what that means, firstborn right. of all creation, whether or not this means that Yeshua is uh, created or not. So this person says, you guys affirm that Yeshua is co-equal and co-eternal. But in this verse from Revelation, it looks like he was the beginning of Yahweh, God, Elohim, uh, Elohim's creation. Am I reading it wrong, or is there a translation issue? What am I missing here? I would appreciate your input. And the uh, bu uh, the verse that is being referenced here is Revelation three fourteen. 
I'll read it in the, well, they, they give you the KJV version, which we'll, we'll take that. And it says, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And if you look in the context, it's clearly a reference to right. Yeshua. And um, so the first thing that we would do is obviously go to the Greek, hey, er, uh, Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hey, Arche, Tace. Uh, right. And, and this is the word, actually. So I basically focus on this word. Um, Arche, which is, and I learned this from Rob because he was my Greek teacher. Arche can mean beginning, but it can also mean ruler. Right? Um, Arche synagogue would be the ruler of the synagogue. Or right, the, right. Um, so uh, I actually take this verse, I think, and if you look in the Net Bible, and which I haven't pulled up here, but... Let's look in the Net Bible real quick, because I think that they actually have some good notes on this. If I remember correctly, um, where am I? Revelation 3.14. So I take it as a ruler of the creation of God. That's the way that I take it. Um, and Net. Sorry, I should have had this already pulled up. That's oh, right. I don't actually have any of my Net notes here. That's odd. Hmm. I wonder what's going on with my Accordance Bible software. Anyway, basically, this can be uh, translated in one of three ways. And I think that the proper translation for this would be the uh, ruler of the creation of God. And remember, when we talked about um, beginning of all creation, or uh, the uh, firstborn of all creation, this means that he inherits everything. Right, Yeshua did not think it necessary to retain his position with God, but emptied himself from coming in the likeness of a man. And when he's on earth, what happens? He does. He gives up a lot of his uh, his his attributes. Right, he's com he's con constrained to a body. You know, he says that no one knows the time except for you know the uh, not even the Son, only the Father. I'm paraphrasing. And then he says, Father, glorify me as I was before. In other words, give me back the power. And I think that now Yeshua knows the time and the hour because he knows all things now, right? He's yeah. been glorified. And um, so I think when it says uh, the, the ruler of the creation of God, in other words, he's been given back this power. He's been given back the, he, the, the inheritance of the Father which is his glory. He's been given his glory back. What would you uh what would you say to that, Rob? Yeah, I the the word arche is you, I'm hearing an echo of my voice now, Caleb. I'm not sure why. That's weird. Oh, it just went away. Um arche does mean beginning, like for example in the Gospel of John, in arche, right? Or even the Greek Torah, Bereshit is translated anarche. Arche in the in the dative. Um, so beginning is a, an appropriate translation often for Arche. But if you look at, uh, it's also used in parallel with firstborn. Uh, like in the Greek Torah, uh, talking about Reuben at the end of Genesis, Genesis 49, where he says, you are the, the first of my strength, right? The Rishon um, Oni, I think. Um, 
that word Rishon is translated as Arche, and it's it's in a poem, it's in a song, right? right. Genesis forty nine. So it's in, in parallel with um, with firstborn. Um, so and we see it also. We see the same word used in um, uh, Colossians chapter one. Right, one fifteen and eighteen. So, Gary was at, Gary was actually nice enough to post the uh, the net note for me. And once again, I'm not sure what's going on with my. I probably need to update. Oh, or something. good. Okay, so yeah, but it says so. Uh, it, says, uh, it says no, uh, or the beginning of God's creation, or the ruler of God's creation. From right. from a linguistic standpoint, all three meanings of RK are possible. The term is well attested in both the Septuagint, Genesis forty verse thirteen twenty one and forty one thirteen. And intertestamental Jewish literature, Second Maccabees four ten and fifty, as meaning ruler or authority. The, um, some have connected this passage to Paul's statement in First in Colossians one fifteen and eighteen, which described Christ as Arche and uh, proto. Uh, pro, it's, I'm sorry, it's really small. Prototokos? Yeah, that's pro, the pro, firstborn. That's the the firstborn, there we go. And uh, yeah, so it looks like that's uh, the term. Arche has been understood as either beginning or ruler. Right, and and the parallels there in, in Colossians 1 is Kephale, which is Rosh. He's the head, right? He's the firstborn. He's the, right? This is um, all sorts of kind of metaphorical or poetic language used to rally around Yeshua's glory, right? Right. Um, so, yeah, good good question. Okay, and finally we have one from Lois. This oh, yeah, Lois's, Lois's one is also... Now, she forwarded... She shared a question from someone else. Um, and it pertains to Revelation... Was it 13.8? Um, where... If you read in the King James or the New King James, it says it mentions the Lamb slain from the foundations of the world, and I actually have it memorized that way: Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. But um, the question is about well, why why do modern translations such as ESV, NASB, um, the Net Bible change the wording so that it's from the book or written? from the foundation of the world um, in the book of the lamb or something like that. So should you want to, uh, should we just, uh, should we read her, her comment? She says, sure. if, if the book of the lamb was written before the foundation of the world, would that not include the idea of the lamb being slain as well? Or is this, or is the suggestion that the book of the lamb existed before the foundation of the world with the names of the elect written in it. But at that point it was, it wasn't sure that the lamb would in fact be slain. No, wait, wait, wait. You're reading my. That's that's my reply. <laughs> oh, okay. Now I get. Now I now I understand why I was so confused. I grabbed okay, the wrong yeah, comment. That okay. was my reply because I typed it. I typed a reply. So we're also giving a, a verbal. Discussion. I was wondering why in the world I was so confused on this question. Okay, do you have her question? Yeah, I thought I forwarded it with you. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, the question basically is this: In Revelation thirteen eight, does quote the 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 phrase from the foundation of the world. Does that modify lamb, I the see. lamb slain from the foundation of the world, or does it modify the names written from the foundation of the world? So in other words, in the middle of Revelation 13, 8, we have this phrase, from the foundation of the world, and we need to know what's it talking about. There seems to be two candidates in the, the structure. It right. could be 
the names written from the foundation of the world, or it could be modify the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So is it talking about names being written or the lamb being slain? And uh, so the question was not challenging the idea of, of, of the cross uh, not being a, a, like, wasn't suggesting that this is evidence that maybe the cross was a second thought. That's right. not the the intent of the email. The email is just really literally about the Greek phrase, um, and why is the shift between, for example, the King James version and maybe some other older ones versus the the NASB, the NET, the ESV, that put it on that it's the names written. Right. And it's a it's a fair fair. Uh, topic of, of discussion because there is another place in Revelation, I think it's in chapter 17, where it says the book r- written, the book written from the foundation of the world, where the lamb is not mentioned there, or the lamb being slain is not mentioned. So um, so the idea then is, is this weird to think, I mean, should, should we run to the one, should we run to the NASB and the ESV on this and abandon the King James reading? So for again, again, just to clarify, we're not talking about a textual difference in the Greek underlying. We're talking about how that Greek is being brought into English by these, and there's kind of a fork in the road here. Um, is there one way, one reason we should cling to the newer renderings of that and away from the new King James or the King James? And I don't know. I like, I think that John could be having it mean both right and that's now we know we know that yeshua literally did not suffer on the cross yet before the foundation of the world however when we look at isaiah 53 for example it's all past tense right we've all gone astray the lord put on him the punishment like the description of the suffering messiah in isaiah 53 is in the past tense right and then even John, in the Gospel of John, will write, this is what, uh, he quotes Isaiah 53, and then he quotes uh, maybe Isaiah 6, I don't remember. He quotes two passages from Isaiah, one of them is Isaiah 53. And then John, in the Gospel, says, this is what Isaiah wrote when he saw his glory. In other words, that Isaiah was talking about it in the past tense, but he was beholding Yeshua's glory, even though in chronological time, Yeshua hadn't suffered yet. Right. And so we're kind of, it takes us into that realm of, of the lamb being slain from the foundation of the world is okay for me. And it's also okay that the names are written from the foundation of the world. Because in, in my, my view, which privileges the sovereignty of God as a, as a, as a core or an umbrella under which everything needs to be understood, that, um, that we don't have to bring the time in there. We have to understand that this has to do with the eternal uh, counsel of the Lord, right? It, with himself in terms of uh, creation and, and redemption. Um, what do you think, Caleb? I think you're right, actually. You know, once again, going back to the idea that I, I think coming from a sovereignty view, this gets into the, like, this gets into stuff that us as humans can't fully understand because God lives outside of time and space, right? 
Um, so from, from our point of view, everything is linear and in time, and therefore we have to think of it in time. And so it's, I think it's almost impossible for us to think outside of time. What's at the, what is the beginning of the world for God? Well, the beginning of the world is the end of the world if he's outside of time, right? He sees it all. I mean, it's like holding, you know, can you hold time in your hands? Well, we can't, but God can. So right. when he sees all of it. So if the lamb is slain at this point and salvation, you know, and judgment day is at this point, it's, he sees it at the beginning of it anyway. And I think that this is how, you know, once again, I, I agree with you in terms of the sovereignty of God and, and that, uh, and that, you know, I believe that, that, uh, salvation is a gift from God and faith is a gift from God. And therefore, the names of those whom he would give faith to was given at the beginning of the world, which means that the names were written in the book at the beginning of the world. While at the same time, how are they written in the in? How are we uh, uh, declared justified? We're only declared justified through the shed blood of the Messiah. Yeshua. Right, right. It's not like, and this is against uh, the idea of Armenian, and I, I think it's uh, the circles that that this question came from through Lois. There was a discussion on the Armenian side of like. Maybe that, that I don't know. It seems like the Armenian side was suggesting that maybe there was this book of life that wasn't necessarily of a of a slain lamb yet. Like we didn't like God didn't know there was still a book of life, and it was only after sin came into the world that that then that book of life had to be the book of the life of the lamb slain or something. It, and and to me, it doesn't make any sense that there's no coherence to that way of thinking um because like you just point out caleb that um why why if the context of revelation 13 is that the the people who are going to follow after the beast except for those whose name was written in the book right from the foundation of the world so that have been why are they different why is this group of people different than this group of people it's because of the the shed blood of yeshua it's because that the wrath of god is not on them they and they've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit for for uh, discernment and to seek to walk in God's ways and and so they don't follow after the beast. So there's there's several things going on here. First of all, what we're talking about uh, for those who are interested interested in this kind of thing is basically this boils down to open theism. Open theism is the idea that God doesn't know things in advance. In other words, that um, he that he has a good guess maybe, or he might be able to sway things one way or the other. But for the most part, everything is up to up to us to kind of determine the future and, and those kind of things. I was challenged on open theism uh, recently. Somebody basically challenged me saying, "Well, um, you know, I." Essentially, I, the, the person didn't say this, but the essential uh, drive of it was, well, maybe op- open theism is true. Um, what open theism does is it makes God n- no longer omniscient. Um, in other words, God is not all-knowing. He's not all, which takes power away from God, which means that um, they're really, <laughs> God's not in control. And if God, God's not in control, then we're in a whole heap of trouble. Um, someone in the chat room asks this question. They say, Robin or Caleb, since we are now on Revelation 13, this may be off topic. I've been studying Daniel 9.27. Is this about Messiah, the Antichrist, or both? Uh, I don't have uh, Daniel nine twenty seven in front of me. We should. Well, that's going to have to. We're going to have yeah, to do it's, a it's show. It's going to have to on, wait. Well, th- what yeah, I was going to yeah. what I what I was going to say to this is, uh, my father's uh, done nine sessions on the book of Daniel, and he addresses all of this in that uh, in that series. I would encourage you to look for it on Torah Resource. 
interpreting biblical prophecy is the first uh, portion of that, and then there's interpreting Daniel's prophecy, which you can also find, um, and you can buy them separately if you want to. Interpreting biblical prophecy is an introduction to how we read biblical prophecy and how we can understand it, and then he takes what he uh, what he teaches in in the first eight sessions of uh, interpreting biblical prophecy, and he then applies it to a study of the book of Daniel. And I have to say, it was probably one of the more exciting uh, uh, things that I've uh, uh, videotaped of uh, lectures of my father's that I've videotaped. It was really a very good. And to be honest with you, it's one that is is not uh, for some reason is not sold as much on Torah resources. A lot of other things. Which is fine, but uh, I feel like people are missing out. It's in video or audio. Um, I would encourage everyone. It, it really is an exciting, uh, exciting thing to go through. It, it's it's very fun. Um, I I was I remember vividly because he gave it in, in the Philippines. He did that whole lecture series in the Philippines. It was the second time that we had been there, and uh, I was videotaping. It was in a very nice hotel, and I remember I had Wi-Fi in the room, and I was trying to live tweet as fast as I could. <laughs> My father's lectures on on Daniel nine uh, because I, I just found them very fascinating. Um, so anyway, I would I'd encourage everybody to go check it out. It's uh, it's very good and it's it's kind of outside of the realm of something that I would even be able to. I mean, I certainly wouldn't be able to talk about it off the cuff. Um, I would have to go back and reference my father's work on Daniel before I could even you know. Uh, it's such a it's such an in, in, intriguing book, right? Daniel is just the whole thing is really really intriguing to me. Um, as most prophecy is, but at the same time, we, uh, a lot of people get into trouble for their, for their interpretations of. Uh, I I think it's a mystery. It's like yeah. trying to explain women. I you know I I, I love my wife. I <laughs> I love my wife very much, but I'm not going to try to explain. Anyway, okay. Um, did I go off the cuff there too too, too much? <laughs> Have you seen that? Have you Bible seen... prophecy is like women. You can't explain. <laughs> you it. can't explain it, man. I. You're funny. That's how I feel. All right. Uh, shoot us emails. Did we? Yeah, I think we did. We That's it. Covered some good material today. I think I, so. Yeah. All right. Here, let's pull this one up instead. Uh, all right, guys. Comment line two five three four six five three two zero five. How many? Um, Jessica says women make sense to women. That's true. Uh, my wife probably exactly. has better. My wife probably has better insight into uh, in into prophecy than I do. Um, I'm, I'm, I have a feeling I'm going to get a lot of email about that women comment. I'm sorry. I I'm just don't understand women. Okay. Uh, comment line is 253-465-3205. 253-465-3205. And shoot us email, chag at torresource.com. chag at torresource.com. And don't forget to go to Torah Resource where you can find all sorts of wonderful things. We're off for an entire week so we'll be back in two weeks and we'll be pretty silent i think on um messiah matters more until rob gets back from trinidad but once he does we will try to post all of those lectures there i can't wait to hear him have fun in trinidad please be praying for rob as he goes pray for me and the rest of the staff at Torah resource as we go to camp and all the people traveling to us because we're going to try to do one thing in both places that is glorify our great god and savior yeshua the messiah why because Messiah matters. <laughs>